following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good evening, everybody. How's the world? Everybody cool? Everybody good? Be glad to be at halftime tonight. Amen. What a joy to be on Wednesday night at church. I, I, uh, I have several people on the front porch that help greet folks that come in the door, and, and we met a lot of new people tonight. It's just pretty neat to meet new people, and, and people wonder how that <clears throat> so many folks turn out on Wednesday night. We just kind of like church. We really do. We enjoy church. Uh, I don't know when I've ever pastored more hungry people for the things of God. And the good book said, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. And I believe that with all my heart. And so we're here and uh, we're not trying to make a statement. I think the statement's already been made that we've been doing this for a good while. And on Sunday, we have three options at 9 and 1030 and at noon. And uh, then we're starting our continuum. I'm so proud that Reed's cranking it back up for our college kids what a joy. In fact, Reed, this year, son, this year, I'm going to be up in the balcony several nights, and I'm just going to be watching you. And when I do that, that means you're doing good or that. Are you know what I'm saying? No, I won't do that, son. We love Reed. We love Brad. We love our, our associate pastors here. Brad is our executive pastor, and Reed is our young adult pastor. And uh, they let me preach every now and then. I am Rex, Pastor Rex, and it's an honor to welcome you if you're a first-time guest. We thank you for being here tonight. What a joy. What a joy. Now, on Sundays, we've been doing a series on joy, just J-O-Y, from the book of Philippians, and this Sunday is the third week of that, and, and we're going to hear the word from Pastor Reed this week, and he's going to bless us on Sunday with the third part of that. And uh, tonight, we're, we're in a series called the domino effect. We're doing the domino effect. Now, if you don't understand dominoes, you know when you stack dominoes up, you have to hit one to have them all kind of start tumbling over. So we're talking about that one domino, the one that starts everything in your life. And we believe we've discovered it here. We really do. We believe we've discovered what that first domino effect is, and we believe it's praise to the Lord. We believe it's praise because the Bible said he inhabits the praise of his people. And in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand there's pleasures forevermore. And what a joy to be in his presence. And so the first week we talked about, we talked about Judah. Judah was one of the sons of Jacob, the fourth son of Jacob. And his name means now will I praise the Lord. And so Judah means praise. Judah means praise. And so everything that happened in the Old Testament when the children of Israel moved, when the Ark of the Covenant would go from one place to another, there was one thing in front of the Ark of the Covenant which represented the glory of God, and that was praise. That was the tribe of Judah. It was the largest tribe. Praise ought to be the biggest thing in the house of God. It ought to be the largest thing that happens in our life is praise to the Lord. Second was the Ark, and third was the ministry, the Levites. And so praise went first. The glory followed the praise, and the ministry followed the glory. And that's how it ought to be in God's house. It ought to be that way. That, it ought to be that succession. Then last week, Pastor Reed blew this house up. 
I'm glad we still. Man. He talked about the seven words of praise. Halal and Yada and Barak and Zamar and Shabak and Toda and Tahila. And uh, he left Ruah out. But it's all right. It's just one of those things that's kind of added. It means to shout for joy. And he just absolutely blessed us with those seven words of praise. And now tonight, I'm going to speak on the power of praise. Now, I'm going to wrap this up next Wednesday night. I'm going to give you what I'm going to talk about next Wednesday night. I'm going to give you what I'm going to talk about next Wednesday night. And that is this, that when, when, the, when the priest, 86 priests were slain, 85 were slain at uh, the city of Nob. When Doag, who was an Edomite, tried to destroy praise in the Old Testament, he killed 85 priests, and one survived. One survived and made his way to David, who was the praise worshiper of Israel. And we're going to tell that story next week, and you're going to hear about how praise got saved and how praise is still alive today. Hell has tried to put praise out. He's tried to quiet churches down. He's tried to keep joy out of people's lives. But I promise you in this house, there's going to be praise and there's going to be joy. There's going to be thanksgiving to God. So would you stand to your feet? Would you stand to your feet? Now, I, I got to share with you something, folks. I'm going to my 50th high school graduation. I graduated when I was eight. I was the youngest kid. I was eight years old, so you can figure it up, eight and 58, eight and 50, I mean, you can figure it up how old I am. I will be the youngest graduate there. They call me, they call me Mighty Might Genius or whatever. No, they didn't. No. I was 18 like everybody else, and so you know how old I am. If you don't, you need to go take a math class. And so Patty and I are going, and what's funny about this is because I hadn't been in contact with my class because I've been busy doing something in Austin the last 28 years. And because I hadn't been keeping in touch with them, they put me on the deceased list. <laughs> that I had died and gone away. And so one of my dear friends, who was a golfing buddy of mine in school, found me on YouTube and then started following us on our Sunday morning service online. And he said, Rex is alive. And so I wrote Linda, I can't wait to see her. And Patty and I are going to walk in. I'm going to say, dead man walking? No. no. I'm going to walk in. I'm going to walk in and I'll say, the reports of my demise will be greatly exaggerated. I'm, I'm still alive here. And I'm going to have so much fun because I'm going to talk. And I'm going to have so much fun. And I'm going to throw Linda Abbey under the bus. And, uh, and we're going to have a good time. So Patty and I are going to do that. And we're going to go and... Uh, I had some friends in high school. I had some people that I really, truly admired and loved. And I, and I, and I liked some girls, but I never was brave enough to ask them out on dates. But uh, I'm going to get to see them, and they're going to get to see my sweet pea. And what a joy to be a part of that. So we, we pray for God to move in our services here on Sunday. And uh, we'll be back Sunday ourselves. But I want Pastor Reed to preach like there's no tomorrow on Sunday here. Amen. So tonight... We're talking about the power of praise. I won't be lengthy. I want to I take you to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 10. A lot of reading here at the beginning, so please bear with me. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, John said, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. 
I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with golden sash about his chest. And his head and his hair were white like wool and as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. Sound like a powerful dude, doesn't it? And out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. That's a mighty God. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And hold the keys of death and Hades. Revelation chapter 4, one more little lengthy reading after this. Verse 1, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me was like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne, seven lamps were blazing, and these are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had the face of a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They praised him all the time. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sit on the throne and worship him who live forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by you, your will, they were created and have, been, have their being. I've never read a scripture that long in my life. Amen. Usually my scriptures are about this long. So that's it. That's a lot of reading. The sermon's not quite that long, all right? You may be seated. God bless. Have a great night. So Bill Crockett tells the story of the time he was delivering a motivational speech, a lecture to a group of young Navy men. And he said, I spoke in great detail about why I joined the military and how much it meant to me. And he said, when I finished my story, I pointed at a sharp-looking sailor that was in the audience and asked him why he decided to go to sea. And he said, well, chief, my father was a farmer. And when he put lights on the tractor, I knew it was time to leave the farm. (laughs) The sailor knew how to read the future. He knew his future because he watched his father's actions. And what his father did revealed to him his future and the decisions he had to make. I find it very interesting that in Revelation, it begins talking about future things. And the first thing it focuses on is God, is God. In Revelation chapter 1, it tells that when John was exiled on Patmos, 
He had an experience with Jesus Christ first. And John was so moved, he fell as one that was dead. You heard the text. And then in chapter 2 and 3, Jesus shows John the seven churches of Asia, a composition of what the churches look like in real life, historically and prophetically. And then I look at Revelation 4. And once again, I'm going to read it while you're sitting. After this, after 1, 2, and 3, after this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard first speaking to me was like a trumpet that said, come up here, John, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. And the one that sat on it had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian and a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. I read that twice because I wanted to double emphasize it tonight. Because the first thing John sees in the revelation of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. The second thing John sees in the revelation of Jesus Christ is the seven churches of of Asia. And five of them had a penalty attached to them. He said, if you don't repent, I'm going to come and remove the golden candlestick. Five out of seven had something wrong in their midst. And yet he still walked among them. Two of them had evidently some good people in them and they were, they were walking right. And so watch this now. So Jesus tells John he's about to see what must take place after this. Say it with me. What must take place after this. But instead, and if you've read Revelation, you know what I'm talking about, but instead of the horrendous pictures of war and famine and pestilence that people often associate with Revelation, instead of the seven vials and the seven trumpets, instead of the harlot, instead of the antichrist, instead of the beast, instead of the mark 666 and the lake of fire, instead of the destruction of the end time, and instead of all the evil things that are coming, Instead of the horrible plagues that will consume the earth. Instead of the locusts and the pain and the wars and even Armageddon and suffering. Instead, John finds himself in God's throne room. Witnessing an awesome praise and worship service. Filled with strange sights. And filled with beautiful sounds. Lightning and thunder and rumbling in the distance. Beautiful colors and rainbows and unusual creatures full of eyes and an inspiring example of how to praise God. One can look at this passage and think, what's going on here? What's happening? If Jesus had told John what he's about to see, what must take place after this. The first thing Jesus showed John was, everybody say himself. himself. <clears throat> I'm going to teach tonight. You've got to hear this. The second thing he showed him was the church. And the third thing he showed him was a praise service in action. Why visit this beautiful but seemingly irrelevant ceremony? Why not just get down to the nitty gritty of it all? And tell us what's what's about to really happen and what we really want to know about Revelation. Like the conflict between the forces of good and evil. And between the forces of Satan and the angels of God. But instead, we find ourselves with John being led into God's throne room. Why start here? Why? 
Because it's the domino effect. Because that's where God knew we had to begin. With praise first. And then problems second. There is a need in the church today as never before for proactive praise. I'm talking about not when you get in a problem. Not when you're going through the crisis. But whenever things on top of the mountain. And you feel good in your spirit. Something ought to make you want to clap your hands and say today I will bless the Lord with my mouth. With my heart. With my voice. With my mind. With everything that's in me, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. In the creation, folks, in Genesis, the sons of God shouted for joy and the morning stars sang together before there was ever anything. At Jericho, when Joshua led the people there, the people were told to praise first. And then the walls came tumbling down. Praise is the domino effect. Praise must precede everything. It must be first in our lives. If it's not first, you can't start a domino effect in the middle. It has to be first or it doesn't count at all. And so in this month of September, we have tried to lead this church into an autumn of praise and magnificent worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I believe with all my heart that we can do that in our own way, not just in collective worship and in general worship. We can do that every morning when we get up. We can do it every evening before we lay down. We can do it going down the road, listen to somebody sing and doing a little spiritual hip-hop on the radio. We can do it doing, uh, uh, in a shower somewhere. We can sing in a bathtub. We can sing getting ready for church. There's nothing like people making a joyful noise unto the Lord because it starts everything in your life. I get so tired of Texas football fans. It's like we've won or something around here. They come late. Matt got on him for that. He said, come early, wear orange, be loud and stay late. But they come late. And here's how Texas fans do. They sit on their hands and say, do something to deserve my applause. That bothers me because that kind of attitude carries over in everything you are. When you wake up in the morning and you breathe your first breath, you ought to say, bless the Lord. I don't know you the way I want to know you, but I heard a preacher on Wednesday night say the first thing I ought to do when I get up in the morning is to praise you. David said seven times a day, I'm going to take a praise break. I'm going to stop and say, I will bless the Lord right now. When I go a little further, I'm going to bless the Lord right now. I'm going to praise him because God is worthy. Don't make him perform before you give him honor and glory because of who he is. See, we have to realize when we read Revelation that we, it's possible to focus on the wrong things. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit here, and, and please don't take this wrong. I could, I could be taken wrong here, and I could get some letters. Don't send me letters. Just listen to me. Listen me out. Prophecy teachers 
And TV and radio preachers get caught up looking at the wrong things a lot of time. Stay with me now. Regarding Revelation, which many of these men focus on to the exclusion of other scriptures. Some commentators and preachers focus on the power of darkness, the mark of the beast, the 666, the battle of Armageddon, and they seem to dwell on the darker, scarier aspects of this vision and thus focus on the wrong things. And even the movie industry does it that way also. It's a fear monger preaching. Over the past 50 years or so, prophetic teachers have gotten people so scared of prophecy about the mark of the beast, the 666, which is described in Revelation chapter 13, that faithful churchgoers have made nuisances of themselves, fighting any attempt by our government to use social security numbers or identification cards or anything of the sort for fear that the mark of the beast might be placed upon them unaware. Let me make a statement. Few seem to have stopped to consider that God was the one who told John about that mark in the first place. And if God told us about it, don't you think he can sustain us in all of the undertakings of it? Can somebody say yes to that? That's just a thought. Hell didn't open up the mark of the beast. Jesus told John about it. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. However, when it came or when it does come, if it indeed is in it yet in the future, Christians may be forced to make a decision. Take the mark, worship the beast and, or, and survive or follow Jesus and face the consequences. Revelation 13, 11 through 18. But as I researched my study on the mark of the beast, I ran across some interesting comments. One of the prominent speculations was that the mark was going to be an implantable microchip and that the chip would identify who you were and you'd just wave your hand in front of something and it would be similar to a photograph on your driver's license. Another speculation was that it would be a number like your social security code, similar to your credit card number, only you have that number. Another one, that it would be like a password or a PIN number and you'd need to take out money or to authorize transaction with that PIN number. Those things are already here, folks. They're here. Our site, our one site showed a picture of a barcode indicated that each barcode in existence had 666 embedded within it. Maybe they do. But as I read these things, I found these authors stressing the approach of a cashless society. Folks, I've been out of cash for a long time. <laughs> I'm not trying to be funny. But an emphasis was made on the potential for cashless purchases at stores and the documentation of fingerprint scans that, that were here to replace lunch money. And there was a heavy emphasis on Big Brother is watching. Oh, we've heard that a lot. Big Brother's watching. And one of these authors even wrote, the real truth is this. The astounding prophecies of doom and a great antichrist is just a smokescreen used by the dark brotherhood to cast an illusion over the real beast, the antichrist, and the meaning of 666 so the masses will continue to bear the mark. And as I read these items, I recalled a story that I heard about a man talking to his friend one day said this. Just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get me. I'm going to make a statement now, and you can disagree with me, and we'll talk about it because you can have an opinion. This is just my opinion. Most people, I mean not all, but most people who write about Revelation are somewhat paranoid people. And it's easy to understand why, because Revelation is a scary book. Revelation would not be a Bible book that I would read for my kids at bedtime stories. 
there are some frightening images in there. And God knows that. And that's why the vision starts in the throne room. Oh, I want to I preach now. Consider the image that chapter 4 places in our mind. Now, watch these images. It's awesome. It's unearthly. There's odd creatures in this room. Yet somehow comforting 24 elders in white garments and crowns. These elders at least look like something like us. God is worshipped by everything in heaven and in earth. And everything and everyone subjects itself to God. Not because they have to, but because he is worthy. Everything is voluntary. Everything is spontaneous. And the room is filled with excitement and joy. And there's a sense of power here, a sense of wonder, and an assurance that if this is my God, enemies, you better take notice. Now, oh, I want to preach now. I want to I throw down just a little bit, then I'll stop. But the images that follow this in chapters 5 through 18 of Revelation can be frightening and overwhelming. And I'm getting to my point. The beast, the seven heads and the ten horns, the false prophet, the antichrist. Pastor, you're talking Latin up there. The harlot, the seven vials, the seven trumpets, the seven seals, the seven plagues, the fall of Babylon. It's scary. But I found a little scripture I want you to read when you get home. It's found only one time in the whole word of God. And it's in Psalms chapter 149 in verse 6. It said, let the high praises. Everybody say high praises. Not just praises. It's the only time high praises is used in the whole word of God. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishment on the people. Now watch this. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron and to execute upon them the judgment written, this honor have all the saints. Praise ye the Lord. So what God is saying is if your praise in the morning is not quite enough to get you through the day. I got one more level you can go to. It's called high praise. It's called getting so excited about God that hell stands over in the corner. I'm sorry, I just gotta, I gotta show you this. Hell says, oh, don't bring those chains over here. Don't bind me with those fetters. There is something about the power of praise that can bind anything that wants to hold you down and stop you from doing what God wants you to do in your life. I promise you, I've done some high praise in my life. I have. When I went through my tragedy in 81, I learned what high praise was. Because I battled demons in my mind saying I would never be preaching again because I'd lost half my family in tragedy. When my brother took his life in 1992, the only sibling I had, I battled it again. It's as, it's as if I went through these, these pitfalls that hell was saying, I'm going to take your word and your ministry away from you. But I got into something in Psalms 149 verse 6. I got in some high praise. I got in some high praise. I got a little... I have a little roadster. I have a little roadster at the house, and, and, and y'all know I, I, I like old cars, and I've got this roadster that's a six-speed, and it's got a big Corvette engine in it, and it'll run like a, a scalded gorilla. And, and, and I enjoy sometimes. I'm sorry, but I enjoy sometimes. It's a 2006 SSR. It's a, it's a super sport roadster, and, and I bought it from a pastor in Houston, so a pastor bought it from a pastor. And, you know, we just do that kind of stuff. It's just one of my little hobbies. It's I don't deer hunt. I don't fish. I'm trying to tell you what I don't do, but I do, I do buy a car every now and then. 
And I had a little Thunderbird for a while and I let it go because it, it, it wasn't quite what I wanted. But I got me one now. And I don't race. I'm not a racer. But it's so much fun when people pull up beside me knowing what I've got under that engine. And they kind of do this to me and I say, get out of here. Get out of here. I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. That's the truth. I do it. <laughs> and then I'll pull it down. And it's a six speed on the floor. And I'll pull it down in second gear and I'll say, and I'm gone. And then before I get to the speed limit, I slow down. I say, come on, you can, go, you can go now. Come on, you can go. I leave them in my dust. I'm here to declare to you that hell wants to pull up beside you every day and say, what you got under that engine? What, is, what are you running? What are you running? Oh, get out of here. I'm a child of God. Get out of here. I'm a child of God. Hey, hey. Every now and then, you want to pull it down into second gear and say, let's go. That's what high praise is. It's time for some of you to put the devil in your rear view mirror and say, I'm going to live for God. Clap your hands real big. That's right. That's right. We're going, to have, we're going to have a building fund. Uh, uh, we're going to raise some money on the building fund, and it's going to cost a dollar to set in my car. <laughs> no. I'll take anybody in this church on a, on, a, on, a, on a drive with it if you just don't make me let, if you don't want to drive. I don't want nobody to drive it. <laughs> Our God is bigger than anything the world can throw at us. He occupies the higher ground. And nothing can stand against his power. John wrote in John, 1 John 4 and 4, You are of God and have overcome, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you believe that? you got something in you that hell can't handle. And you got a second gear called high praise. you got a high praise in you. And you need to turn that on sometime and let the enemy know. John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. That's what Revelation is trying to drive home to us. You're going to have trouble in this world. However, you read the rest of, however you read the rest of Revelation, that truth is inescapable. You will have trouble, but take heart. Because of God, because you belong to Jesus, you will overcome. Now, now, thus Revelation 1 through 4 is not only telling you that you will overcome. I believe it's telling you how we can overcome. We will overcome by following the example of those in the throne room. Look at what they're doing. They're singing praises to God. Everybody say, sing praises to God. They're worshiping the one on the throne. Say, they're worshiping him. They focus all their attention on him, Jesus Christ. And everything is centered on the throne in the middle of the room. Why? Because when we do that, when we praise and worship God, focus our attention solely on Him and His throne of power, we're focusing our attention not on our circumstances and difficulties, not on our failures and tragedies. No, 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 no. When we learn to worship and praise God as these in the throne room did, we are focusing upon a God who has the power, the majesty, and the desire to lift us up out of our despair and hopelessness. 
That's why the four living creatures cry out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. God has always been there in our past. He is here for us in our present. And he'll be for us in our future. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us, even in our darkest moments. That's why the 24 elders cast their crowns before his throne and sing, You're worthy, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have, and, and have their being. This is the God who created everything that has ever existed simply by the word of his mouth. Those who stand against you don't stand a chance. We overcome because we have the power of God in our life. There's a German man named Martin Reichert who wrote, Now Think We All Are God. And it's a, it's, it's a beautiful song that's sung in a lot of churches even yet today. Now think we all are God with heart and hands and voice, whose wondrous things has done in whom his world rejoices. But in the year that Reichardt wrote that, over 6,000 people in his German village, including his wife and kids, all of his kids, died in a pestilence. Why did he write the hymn? Because he understood what Revelation was trying to tell us. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. We will focus on the throne of God. Set your eyes and hearts in him, on him, because I want to tell you four little words here. Everybody say, God, God is, is with, with us. us. The Bible said they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. His name shall be called Jesus. Now, let me close. Randy, if you'll come. I've taken too long. I've taken over 30 minutes. Forgive me. Wash me, Lord. I'm clean. Amen. I want to show you something now. Okay, everybody say Revelation 1 to 4. We see Jesus, the churches, and worship around the throne. Then Revelation 5 through 18, we see all this pestilence and all this stuff happening. Now I want to take you to Revelation 19. Because in Revelation 19, there's a lot of saints in the, in the other world. And God showed John four worship settings Four worship settings. Four is the number of the world. Four is the number of the earth. There's four corners. There's four seasons. Four is the number of earth. And John, he said, this is all the praise you'll ever need. And he wrote in the 19th chapter, four hallelujahs. He wrote four hallelujahs. Right after the horrible chapter of Revelation 18, he said, in the very first verse, he said, the first, of the, Lord's sal- sal- first, the first is for the Lord's salvation. Everybody say, hallelujah. hallelujah. Say, he delivers from sin. Delivers from sin. Say, hallelujah. hallelujah. God has brought salvation. God has brought salvation. Then he said, the second is, is for his severity. Say, hallelujah. hallelujah. Babylon is cast down. Babylon. The Antichrist is defeated. Antichrist. Say, Hallelujah. The third is for his sovereignty. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Heaven and earth agree. The angels and the elders. That he does all things well. (laughs) Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. The fourth is for his supremacy. Say he is in control. He He rules. He He reigns. reigns. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now. What he's saying is, whatever, whatever situation you're in in your life, know that I'm, I'm going to save you. Amen. Know that the, 
the enemy's defeated. Hallelujah. Know that I do all things well. And know that I am in control of everything in your life. That ought to be four of the biggest hallelujahs you ever spoke in your life. Hallelujah. 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 You know, hallelujah is the universal word. Everybody in every language says hallelujah the same. So the Swahili language is hallelujah. The Portuguese language is hallelujah. All the languages over in Vietnam and Asia is hallelujah. It's the only word that's universal. Even yes is not universal and no is not universal. But hallelujah is. So I want you to say it with me tonight. Hallelujah. He's my salvation. Hallelujah. The enemy has been defeated. Hallelujah. God does all things well. Hallelujah. He is in control of my life. Clap your hands real big. Clap your hands real big. Woo! Man. You know, you know, sometimes when I get through preaching, I want to go run about five miles. Now, I'd quit after about 50 yards. But it feels so good because I feel like you folks have got a brand new interpretation of praise. We don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen. We don't have to be worried and run to the rocks and the mountains to hide. We know there's a God that has saved us. We know a God that's defeated the enemy. We know a God that's in control. And we know a God that is sovereign in our world and he rules and reigns. And we understand that. And because we understand that, we're going to praise him every morning. Because praise is the domino effect that starts everything running in your life. Why don't you get up in the morning, stand to your feet all over the house. I've held you long enough. It's, we've been going an hour and four minutes, and I usually dismiss in an hour and five, so i got one minute. For all you that's come to your first Wednesday night, I hope you've enjoyed it. It's a great night. Wednesday night's a great night. Next Wednesday night, I'm going to be talking about a bithar. You're going, to, you're going to enjoy it. It's a beautiful story. You're going to enjoy, you're going to enjoy the story of that. But, 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 I, but I, want to, I want to share something with you here tonight. I want to share something. God is always going to have somebody to praise him. Now, you know, Judah, stay with me now. Judah means praise in the Old Testament. Judas, Judas is the Greek word for praise in the New Testament. So Judas was called because he represented a praise factor. But he was a thief. And he was a man that turned his back on Jesus Christ. But now if you read the disciples that Jesus called, there was one named Libius whose surname was Thaddeus. And he, really, who's he? But when Judas went away at the Last Supper in John 13, he walked out. Jesus was without his praise weapon. Stay with me now. He was without his praiser. And so in John 14, you read it tonight when you go home. 
Andrew asked a question. Philip asked a question. And then there was a man raised his hand, Judas, not Iscariot. You know who that was? That was Libyus Thaddeus. Jesus changed his name. Because Jesus is not going to go one chapter without a praiser in his midst. And if you study it further, you realize that that Judas, not Iscariot, became Jude, the writer of the book that precedes Revelation. So the book that precedes the revelation of Jesus Christ and all the bad stuff that's happened and going to happen is a book written by a man whose name means praise. The only way to go into revelation is to go in praising and say, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know one thing, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus Christ. I will be a praiser in my life. Join hands with somebody there beside you. I love the fire out of you folks, and you know it. And I'd rather preach to you than eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches when I'm hungry. Now, Bluebell's a different story. Don't go there with me. No, I love preaching to you. Lift those hands up with your friends now and say, as for me and my house, we're going to praise the Lord. We're going to magnify Him. We're going to honor Him. We're going to give Him glory. We will praise Him. We will honor him with the fruit of our lips, with our heart, with our mind, with our strength, with everything we have. We will bless the Lord. That's the domino effect in your life. I love you. Dear Father, thank you for the congregation tonight. Thank you for the people of God. Thank you for the joy of the Lord that is our strength. We ask you to bless now and bless our guests that came for the first time tonight. And may they... Take a praise break in their life and start praising you with all their heart. Bless us now. Give us a fabulous weekend. And let's see Jesus do some things in this house, folks. In the name of the Lord. Everybody say amen. Amen. Say, Pastor, I will praise him before I go to bed tonight. I love you. God bless. You're awesome people. You're awesome people. I love you very, very much.